Absolute Radio. Where real Hello, this is Mark Goodyear. Welcome to another classic album revisited. And today, it's Fleetwood Mac's Rumours. We'll explore one of the best-selling albums of all time with Mick Fleetwood, Lindsay Buckingham and John McVie. We'd entered a, a time with the right band, the right sound and the right history. And as was to prove with the Rumours thing, the right drama. Clearly, we were hitting a chord or striking a nerve that went beyond the music. To some degree, these dialogues shooting back and forth, this musical soap opera, if you will, that was on vinyl, from the outside looking in, must have been very intriguing. Being with other people is not complete freedom. It's a compromise. Life is a compromise. Being in a band is a compromise. And it's either an unhealthy or a healthy one. It's as simple as that. Released in 1977, Rumours is a remarkable recording, one that sold more than 40 million copies worldwide. In today's programme, we'll hear the difficult circumstances of its recording, with all band members grappling with intense personal issues and relationship breakdowns. The Fleetwood Mac story is one of turmoil, Rumours was the second recording by the group to feature new recruits Lindsay Buckingham on guitar and singer Stevie Nicks. This band lineup was very different to the blues group that emerged some 10 years earlier. In the late 1960s, Fleetwood Mac was fronted by guitarist Peter Green, who wrote a string of hits for the group, including Oh Well, drummer Mick Fleetwood. That song is totally sculpted and created and arranged by Peter Green. Peter was then writing classic songs all around that period that hold up, that have been covered by bands, the likes of Aerosmith and all these bands that they play oh well on stage, you know, Rattlesnake Shake. And he's a heavyweight. The hits happened. Bassist John McVie. By that time, the band had become popular enough to pretty much do whatever it wanted to do. I can't help about the shape I'm in. I can't sing, I ain't pretty, and my legs are thin. But don't ask me what I think of you. I might not give the answer that you want me to. Peter Green was musically so in charge of what he was doing. Me and John, in a supportive role, I mean, we, we were very much a band, and Peter allowed certain freedoms, people expressing themselves within a framework, but that framework was created by Peter. In the spring of 1970, after writing hits like Albatross, Man of the World and Oh Well, Peter Green quit the band during a European tour after suffering a nervous breakdown. That happened over one night in Munich when he came back after disappearing for two or three days with a jet set. German jet set hippies, very rich hippies. Oh, if you have a studio in the in the basement of the castle, the Schloss, and they had other stuff in there too. And they, I think he did acid for three days, but it, I think it was so intense that's what did him in. They lost Peter Green, but recruited on keyboards John's wife Christine Perfect. 
Then, guitarist Jeremy Spencer left to join a religious cult, and original guitarist Danny Kerwin's demons got the better of him, and he left. Guitarist Bob Welch fronted the band for a couple of years until late 1974, when, after his departure, the group once again were on the hunt for new recruits. Mick Fleetwood was also looking for somewhere to record the next Fleetwood Mac album and turned up at Sound City Studios, where he heard a recording of Buckingham Nicks. He was impressed. I told Chris and John, I said, I think these two guys are incredibly talented. They write great songs, and Lindsay's perfect guitar player. He's got his own unique style, and we met. The next thing I remember is going to a restaurant, I think it was Melrose, and meeting Stevie, who was working as a waitress there. And when she finished her shift, she sat down with us, with uh, Lindsay was there. And Chris got on famously with Stevie. That was the only prerequisite. Chris said, well, let me meet the young lady, who, of course, was Stevie, because there's nothing worse than having two women that don't like each other. I said, quite right, Chris. (laughs) And we talked it out, and then we rehearsed. And we didn't rehearse that long in this little basement. It was obvious. It's like sparks were happening. It's amazing. It was like a magic whole synchronicity to it, how they joined Fleetwood Mac. With Christine in there and uh, Stevie and Lindsay and Lindsay's playing and Chris's piano and stuff. Yeah, after five minutes when they were singing together with Chris, it was like, woo.
it was instant. It worked. Stevie and Lindsay, it worked. And what we brought was the foundation of a band that certainly Lindsay respected. So they made the, the, the plunge and took that creative turn. There was also this element of, of the three-part harmony, which was immediately apparent. Lindsay Buckingham. Whereas Stevie and I had had kind of a folk, kind of Bulgarian two-part kind of nasal thing going when Christine fell in and she added that very airy, round quality. It just really filled out nicely. So those were some of the early indications. Yeah, so it, it, was, a, it was an interesting blend, really coming from totally different directions too, you know, and very much a chemistry thing. It took just over six months for the new chemistry to find commercial acceptance. Their album, Fleetwood Mac, known by fans as the White Album, would go to number one in the American chart and spend over a year in the album Top 40. It was the second best-selling album of 1976, behind Frampton Comes Alive. For Lindsay Buckingham, the recording of the follow-up album, Rumours, allowed the songwriters in the group to flourish. It was just striking a balance because, quite honestly, that was one of the things that Fleetwood Mac was looking for, was someone who had a sense of the craft, of the craft of pop record making, which I, I did bring to that, and it wasn't something I had to put aside at all. And Mick and John were both had such a signature, so that was an element that really added to the guitar that I was bringing to them. Stevie and I had a great deal of material as a backlog, and having that quantity, I think, made it easier for the, the existing members of the band to sort of pick and choose relative to what existed with Christine's material. It was apparent fairly immediately that, that something good was going on and there was a, an, an element that was fairly effortless. She broke down let me in Lindsay Buckingham's song Never Going Back from the Rumours album. Unlike most bands, Fleetwood Mac were professionally and romantically intertwined, but as they began recording Rumours, the personal side of the group unravelled. 
Bassist John McVie and his wife Christine filed for divorce. At the same time, Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham's relationship broke down acrimoniously. Meanwhile, Mick Fleetwood's marriage also fell apart. These personal tensions fueled nearly every song on Rumours. Painful truths, lies and rumours. It's a rock and roll soap opera. <laughs> uh, how did we survive? It was hell, but it, I, I never remember, for instance, one conversation about us not being able to do this. I don't. Well, you know, it was a challenge. My God, was it a challenge. But, you know, as you mentioned, that, that first album had already become big enough to where there, there was really never a thought of, well, do we want to approach this differently or do we want to break up or are, are we going to let all of these setbacks and the, these challenges uh, get in the way of uh, this opportunity that we have. We said, well, you know, we, we have to play this hand out. We'd entered a, a time with the right band, the right sound, and the right history, and as was to prove with the rumors thing, the right drama. The music was the only thing I can think of that made this situation work. Oh, Daddy. You know you make me cry How can you love me? I don't understand why Oh, Daddy If I can make you see If there's been a fool around It's got to be me Yes, it's got to be me Oh, Daddy
haunting Christine McVie song, Oh Daddy. Coming up, how Fleetwood Mac put aside their personal differences. Everybody was forced to deal with their own distresses a little more privately, and it wasn't a good thing. It was very difficult. When Rumours, our classic album, continues. Welcome back to this special classic album, Revisited. I'm Mark Goodyear, remembering the Fleetwood Mac album, Rumours, with Mick Fleetwood, John McVie and Lindsay Buckingham. And we'll hear more from all three shortly. But first, here's You Make Love in Fun. Make Loving Fun, a Christine McVie song directed at her new boyfriend, a Fleetwood Mac lighting technician, who was quickly dismissed when it came to the attention of the other band members. 
The Rumours album would take about a year to complete at the record plant in Sausalito. Stevie Nicks and Christine stayed in a couple of condominiums by the harbour while the guys were living in the studio lodgings in the adjacent hills. Lindsay Buckingham again. It was incredibly difficult, you know, you had... Stevie and I were writing songs about each other, so there were the, as word, well, John doesn't write, but Christine was about John, and there were just these these dialogues shooting from member to member, which really crackled on, on the record and was part of the appeal that I think went beyond the music itself. It was bizarre. I, mean, I can't even start to tell you how bizarre it was, but at the, the root of it was the fact that we were a band and still loved each other. I mean, that sounds very trite but that was still there and respected each other but for whatever reasons the people that were together couldn't be units anymore but we still knew we had a great band so that got us through that and with a little help of other things it was strange you know you you just had to get on with it you had to you know take your feelings like say my feelings for stevie and vice versa and just cram them over here into this corner of the room and get on with what you were doing in the rest of the room and it was it was a challenge
There was never a, a serious moment when I felt, which I know that I would have felt, knowing me, when I was like, like always looking for the thing to make everything right and make everything go forward, etc., etc. So I believe that 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 what I'm feeling is correct. We were so ensconced with what we were doing, we knew that something was horribly right, although that everything else in our lives was horribly wrong. And you're right, they were crazy days. There was a lot of drug abuse. And that's one of the pitfalls. I think there was a prevailing sense in, in the 70s in general, when the business sort of felt like that, the kind of concerts that were put on that you could do no wrong, that budgets didn't matter, and you know, the subculture of drugs, which was in the business. I'm, I'm just not talking about with the, you know, with the artists, but in the business, the, the subculture of drugs was kind of considered the norm, you know, and that affected the way everybody did things. A lot of it, is just weird stuff because the lads were in one house and the girls had moved to a hotel and we'd meet and then just go all night till 10 o'clock a.m. And through that whole thing came some great music. You know, you can get into all sorts of by roads. Would it have ever happened if you hadn't have been, you know? It would have happened anyhow if we'd have been sort of vestal virgins, you know? The music was there.
everybody was forced to deal with their own distresses a little more privately and it wasn't a good thing I mean there in some ways it was a, a you know a 10-year lesson in denial you know I didn't really get over some of the issues with Stevie until I left the band in 87 because my god you break up with someone in 77 or 78 usually you don't see them you don't have to work with them seven days a week for the next 10 years I mean it was just there was no mourning period there was no time to be away before you got back it was very difficult. I mean, I think the closest for me personally, I can't say for Stevie, but the closest it got for me was that because what Stevie, whatever her music is, I was always the soulmate for her who instinctively knew exactly what to do with her songs. And it never went away after we broke up. But there were times in that era where I actually wanted not to help her, you know, and I would have to somehow watch myself doing that and say, I'm not, I'm not going there. That's about as hard as it got for me in terms of wanting to pull back from the work in some way. Stevie is quite quite a prolific writer, and it's hard to get a lot of material out when you've got three writers on an album, 10 tracks, you know, 11 tracks. Being with other people is not complete freedom. It's a compromise. Life is a compromise. Being in a band is a compromise, and it's either an unhealthy or a healthy one, you know. It's as simple as that in my language. It certainly kept Lindsay knowing he had some freedom within the band musically. In essence, he, he was, for the first time, behaving musically like Peter Green, in actual fact. He had the vision, he had a whole vision going on, you know, the Brian Wilson thing. That type of mindset gets worried if, it, if it's, what do you mean, do you think I'm going to be able to, to, to... And Lindsay went on for many, many years uh, working with Fleetwood Mac, but when someone is that involved with what they do, I mean, I have, you know, my life's fairly broad. Lin Lindsay's and Peter's life it was all music. It is all music, 100%. They, they live it.
from our classic album Fleetwood Mac's Rumours, the Lindsay Buckingham song Secondhand News. Still to come, how does Rumours sound 40 years on? Has it stood the test of time? It's a great album and it breathes and it has a feel to it. But somehow the angels were with us and that, that whole thing came together and it was such a document. Listen to the songs and then and know what was going on within the ranks. Forget it. It's major. When our classic album continues. Welcome back to this classic album, Fleetwood Mac's 1977 masterpiece, Rumours. And we'll delve back into some remarkable interviews from the band shortly after track seven. This is The Chain. For nearly 20 years, the theme tune to Formula One coverage on TV from Fleetwood Mac's rumours, The Chain. John McVie. Uh, I think they stopped it now. But when we did the Wembley shows, they were still playing it, and someone introduced me to the commentator, Murray Walker. And just 
backstage before the show, and he was there for a show or something. So shook hands and stuff, and started the show off with that. <laughs> Rumours was released in February 1977. It was a runaway commercial success and became Fleetwood Mac's best-selling album. It would top the American Billboard chart off and on for 31 weeks. Bassist John McVie was delighted when Rumours replaced the Eagles' Hotel California as the US number one album. Without sounding uh, unpleasant or cocky, yeah, I was. Deserved to be there, I thought. And it stayed there for a while, too. I think it's a great album, yeah. It's the running order, the way the album came together in terms of three major talents, which was, strange enough, was sort of the way the original band was for a little while there, with Jeremy and, and Danny and Peter being quite different talents, really, under the umbrella of the Mac. Uh, I think the rumours uh, stands the test of time, and I, I think it's a really, really fantastic album. Fleetwood Mac, we were a band of convulsions and spurts, and uh, off and on. So uh, I was a bit cynical about the whole phenomenon of it and began to look at it more as, as a phenomenon and not just a piece of music. Because clearly we were hitting a chord or striking a nerve that went beyond the music. Again, it was to some degree these dialogues shooting back and forth, this musical soap opera, if you will, that was on vinyl. It was... Uh, this kind of unexplainable chemistry from these five very unlikely people who were so diverse and somehow were still working together as a fivesome, which from the outside looking in must have, seen, must have been very intriguing. It was a whole being greater than the sum of the parts. Um, all of that's good, but you know, you get to this point where the, you realize what the machinery is when it gets that big and what it demands of you. The implication being, well, if it works, run it into the ground, let's do a Rumours 2, you know, which, of course, you could never do. Uh, like trying to repaint a painting, you know, or, or recapture a moment. Um, you become a little more cynical about some of the people that are around you who may not be really interested in you for the right reasons. It's a whole other realm. So, yes, I was taken aback in many ways, <laughs> I would say.
I've heard stories about people who hear their songs on the radio and they flip out. And I don't know. I guess I've always tried to take everything with a grain of salt. You know, <laughs> say, well, this is cool. I'm glad this is happening. You know, we'll see where this is going. And uh, and try to keep grounded in the work and, and not think too much about the fringe, you know. But when your reality is really this process of making albums, you know, you live with it for so long. You hear it coming out of speakers for a year at a time and you get a bit desensitized to it on that level, on, on a punter level, if you will, you know. And so hearing it come out of a speaker in a car or wherever, it, it's in a sense you've already kind of acclimated yourself to the fact that, that you put that part of yourself into a media situation. And, um, and you know, that's just, that's just me. I, I never had to pull over and uh, throw up or anything when a song came on the radio, you know. <laughs> It's a great album, and it breathes, and it has a feel to it. There's no weak link, you know. And there's always albums where you go, oh, God, I wish we'd not put that song on. But somehow the angels were with us, and that, that whole thing came together. By itself, I don't know. But with what else was surrounding it and was going on, it was something that you, you could miss. It was such a document. As to, I mean, it was literally the glue that kept these, this band together. Listen to the songs and then and know what was going on within the ranks. Forget it. It's major. Christine McVie song, Don't Stop, which would go on to be the theme tune for US President Bill Clinton's 1992 campaign. On winning the election, Clinton then persuaded the disbanded Fleetwood Mac to reform to play his 1993 inaugural ball. 
Rumours has taken on a life of its own. It's become part of so many record collections since its release, selling over 40 million copies worldwide, becoming one of the biggest records of all time. And Fleetwood Mac are currently celebrating 50 years as a band and hitting the road once again. This outing is the Rumours lineup, but controversially without Lindsay Buckingham. But there's no doubt that the collection of songs on the Rumours album has strongly contributed to the group's enduring appeal. It was a wonderful album. It hung together on any number of levels. But you have to question, you know, why... If the reasons for it being so big were really as valid... Okay, when Elvis hit, I mean, that was a revolution. And the waves from that are still going. When the Beatles hit, they were sort of returning that and adding a whole other element to it. Those things are very profound, and they were spontaneous and they were first-time things. I never felt what Rumors was was anything other than a restatement. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't a wonderful piece of work. If, if, if you're any good at all, you, you know you can be better. And it was not totally the new for me. Um, Fleetwood Mac, just as a band and, and the family, the, the people around Fleetwood Mac, it's so womb-like, it's so all-encompassing. It's an extended kind of family, maybe a bit of a dysfunctional family, I think, but, you know, uh, that was what it was. Let's leave the last word to the man who's been keeping time at the back for 50 years, Mick Fleetwood. I overlived Fleetwood Mac. I would literally kill for just anything, just to, to get things right with Fleetwood Mac. There was no other life. That took precedent over my children, over my marriages, over myself in terms of spending time on myself and, and growing in, in the ways that one hopes one grows. We should be proud because, you know, I get out and I'm a bit more show busy and I know what's out there. I know that people love this band.
I'm Mark Goodyear. You've been listening to our classic album, Fleetwood Mac's Rumours. The programme was produced by John Sugar. It was a Wise Buddha production.